today on Tea and Teaching. I found that um, the lockdowns had a very profound effect upon children's mental health, as I'm sure all of us who work in education are aware of. And um, what I was doing when I was going back into schools, uh, once the restrictions had been lifted, I found that children had become very phobic about writing, and not just writing, but about learning of of all kinds, of all subjects. And the things that they'd become comfortable doing were, were, were things like not doing things collaboratively, but things where they were being given support one-on-one, either by family or by their teachers, or, or not being given any support whatsoever. First thing that a lot of students are going to do is, at the minute that they open their eyes, it's just like reach the phone. And immediately they're going to start having those um, negative messages portrayed to them about body issues and things like that. And I think sometimes if you can encourage students and pupils to um, perhaps not reach for the phone first thing and perhaps to do something else like take a walk or go and have some breakfast or have a shower or have a conversation with a family member or um, just doing something that doesn't involve that, that technology. It's those sort of strategies that I suppose I'm trying to recommend. Welcome to Tea and Teaching, the educational podcast you can listen to with a cup of tea. I'm Arthur Moore, and with me, with a new microphone, it's Mike Harrowell. Hi, Mike. Hello, Arthur. How's my sound? Just stunning. It's I, I'm not sure if we're on Zoom or if you're next to me. Oh, that's £30 well spent. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you want to hear about today's pod? And then you can use your new mic to sound fantastic to them as well. I would love to hear about today's pod. Well, Mike, today we are going to be talking all about daily reflections with our students. We're going to be talking to author, former teacher, Adam Bushnell, who's written a book called The 100 Ideas for Primary Teachers All Around Daily Reflections. We're going to be talking about how we build those school and our students, why they're important, and give some top tips on how we can actually do it. So get that cup of tea, get that biscuit, and we'll be back in a moment with Adam. Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. We are lucky enough to be joined today by Adam Bushnell from 100 Ideas for Primary Teachers. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. here. Thanks very much, guys. Our our absolute pleasure. Do you want to, maybe for people who don't know who you are, do you want to give us a quick introduction, a quick background to to how you came to be on this podcast? Yeah, sure. So uh, I work in education, same as you guys. Um, I was a primary school teacher. I taught in London for a few years and um, loved it. Taught in a council estate in South London. Um, That was a very well-resourced council estate. Every block of flats had its own drug dealer. So it was a a steep learning curve. And um, I then moved to the Netherlands, where I taught at the British School in the Netherlands. Taught there for a few years. That gave me an opportunity to um, travel to different countries in Europe to look at different teaching strategies, different teachers' approach, uh, teaching approaches. within primary education to kind of like adapt some of those skills to my own teaching. And um, I returned back to the UK in about 2004, Um, still working in primary school, but it was around about 2007 that I got my first book published. I'd always tried to write before and I used to write for the children in my class. And um, 
well since then i've uh, i've basically been a full-time author um writing books for children but also writing books for teachers about creative writing um so i, I write a mixture of academic books and a, a book and a mixture of fictional books for children i write reading scheme books i wrote uh modeling exciting writing um i write descriptosaurus books i write vocabulary ninja books and um yeah currently writing with bloomsbury for the 100 ideas as well and um but that's not my main job. I don't just sit at home writing. I'm in the classroom every day um, delivering creative writing sessions to children so that the things that I write about, I genuinely know that they work with children. I know that these are tried and tested ideas so that when I am offering CPD for teachers, um, it's not just theorised things. It's things that genuinely you know, get children motivated and help them want to write. And the latest book is all about daily reflections for students. Yeah. So I suppose I suppose the obvious question is why is that important, Adam? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is my um, third book with the Hundred Ideas series. My first one was all about writing, um, which is the obvious choice because I'm a writer and um, I deliver writing workshops. But then I discovered that um, teaching writing was becoming increasingly difficult, and I found the best way to get children to want to write was to take them outside. So the next book that I wrote in the 100 Ideas series was was all about outdoor learning activities. Um, so the specifically around writing was the, was the section of that book that I wrote, but I also worked with a team called Scouted who were outdoor learning specialists and they put other ideas in. So I was doing loads of writing outside with children and then COVID hit. And um, even though being outdoors is our biggest classroom, and, you know, I highly recommend um, now that COVID is still with us that, that we do take the children outside as often as we, we possibly can. I found that um, the lockdowns had a very profound effect upon children's mental health, as I'm sure all of us who work in education are aware of. And um, what I was doing when I was going back into schools, uh, once the restrictions had been lifted, I found that children had become very phobic about writing and not just writing, but about learning of of all kinds of all subjects and the things that they'd become comfortable doing were, were were things like not doing things collaboratively but things where they were being given support one-on-one either by family or by their teachers or or not being given any support whatsoever so the idea of daily reflections was born from getting children in the right mindset to want to learn not just to want to write but want to be in the classroom environment um it's it's like I think we're in a, a sort of quite a terrifying position at the minute where um, the NHS are releasing um, statistics and figures where they're saying things like that five to 19 percent of children and adolescents in the UK su- suffer from some kind of anxiety, meaning that there could be up to six children or more in your class who are struggling with anxiety, which could be like a phobia of some sort separation anxiety, social anxiety, panic disorder, disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, school-based anxiety, and even more than that. So that's really where this came from, is I wanted to create, I didn't just want to um, write an introduction where I'm, I'm making um, claims like this that, that, that are backed up by the evidence. I wanted to then create a handbook of what we can do about it. So the reason that I've written it for, for primary um, teachers is because that's my area of expertise but also my my theory is that if we give the children the um, strategies to develop their own mental resilience to develop their own confidence to know that it's okay to fail that we all fail 
um, to give them tools like that that they can put in place and embed into their primary school day, then hopefully that will translate when they go into secondary school and we can avoid those issues there as well. I mean, I, I do believe it's equally as important that we have daily reflection time in secondary school as well. I mean, you know, it might well be that I end up writing a sequel to that book and uh, doing it for secondary teachers and it's used in, in tutor groups so that the tutor and, and their students can sit and, and, and get themselves ready, get, get, get some ideas for how they can be ready to learn for that day. And that's really where the book was born from, was, was, was from COVID times. I think it's interesting, just it's about explicitly teaching these skills. So quite a mm -hmm. lot of time we see we here in education, like, oh, we need to teach kids to self-reflect and be able to do this. But mm -hmm. what you're trying to do in this book is kind of give us some actual, like, this is how you can teach this. This is how some tasks. And I was looking through them, just being like, although the tasks, like, are primary focused, the, like, the essence of the task kind of works for anyone there's stuff I was looking at being like as an adult like I can take stuff away from that so when you're kind of when you were writing this and thinking about who you were writing it for do you want teachers to very much have like a it's 10 o'clock we're going to do our self-reflection time or do you want it to be a bit more organic than that or is it really kind of open to context I suppose open to context I mean I, the idea of the book was first born because lots of teachers were saying to me that they wanted um, a book for assemblies. They wanted something that, um, particularly in non-religious schools where they're getting together and they're having this collective time, but it's not a collective worship. They wanted some text that they could read aloud that wasn't necessarily um, a religious book, that they wanted it just to be a kind of like more a, a book that had a spiritual sort of a feel to it. And I get asked for recommended books all the time for a range of different things. And I normally point teachers in the direction of um, um, uh, wisdom stories. Um, the, Hugh Lipton uh, wrote a book called uh, Tales of Wisdom and Wonder. And they're, they're, they're the kind of short stories for the primary school age that are quite thought provoking, um, like parables, I suppose, essentially. And I wanted to kind of put together a collection of stories that did that. And that's where the book kind of evolved from, because I thought, well, I, I kind of don't want it just to kind of fit into that. Um, collective worship or assembly um, setting it would be great if this could be used with a class with a small group even with individual children and not necessarily doing it at a set time during the day but maybe just picking it up because there's been an issue at lunchtime with a football match because there's been um, some some children have had an issue um, the evening before with some with something to do with social media that it just feels like the right time. Let's just spend five minutes um, reflecting upon something in the classroom when it feels right. Mike, this is something we've spoken about. I think off pod and on pod of you noticing you're working with secondary students who are not quite able to have those moments to kind of take a step back and reflect upon their actions. Is this something you're kind of seeing more in, in, I know, in your secondary school, but something you're trying to teach with your students, like uh, the ability to kind of step back and think about think about the moment that's just happened? So if I, I'll speak subject wise, first of all, um, as a PE teacher, it's something we've embedded in our curriculum this year is a we've created something called a character curriculum that runs alongside our PE curriculum. So every lesson we've pre-written um learning objectives based around certain themes that students will do every term that are character development um, which gives them hopefully what we hope is the skills to to actually perform reflection because you can't reflect until you've built those explicit skills mm -hmm. so for instance today it was um 
my lesson today was about influence. So I was doing trampolining. We were, we were learning front landings in trampolining, but my character curriculum objective was um, influence. How can you have a positive influence on somebody else's performance within our subject? So we were then talking about positive feedback, but you know, you've got reflection in there as well. You know, you've, you're reflecting on what they can do, how you've spoken to someone, has it made an impact on them? Do I need to change the way I say something or, or what I, I select on? So I would definitely say as a subject is something in my school that we're developing and we're trying to get it because we've noticed that those character traits, those skills, um, they're not as maybe obvious as they were a few years ago. Maybe I'm maybe an, an old man shouting at the clouds here and then maybe it's every generation but i feel that students are less resilient now they are more prone to that kind of anxious behavior so we want to teach them the skills to reflect on that and to identify that um but it, it, yeah definitely as a whole school we're noticing a trend towards the fact that we've actually got to explicitly teach these is that right adam am i am i an old man shouting at clouds? You are not at all. You are billion percent correct. There has never in the history of the human race has there ever been a time where students and young people are being told minute by minute that they're not good enough. The minute they are on Instagram or any kind of social media, they're looking at people presenting the very best of themselves. They're looking at people showing their absolutely perfect lives, their perfect bodies, their perfect lifestyle. They're looking at all of this perfection and they're self-reflecting upon themselves and thinking, I'm never going to achieve that. I'm not good enough. The, the message of not being good enough is reinforced over and over and over again. And even like, I know this sounds crazy, but um, I'm, I, I, I was born in the 70s and I grew up during the 80s where Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone were like the action heroes of the day. And you look at the, these guys and, you, you know, the first, you, you look at like um, Top Gun and the first um, Top Gun movie. You know, Tom Cruise, he's, he didn't look like Schwarzenegger. He didn't look like Stallone. He just looked like a regular guy. Bruce Willis and Die Hard, he kind of had the physique of a regular guy. You know, then you look at where we're at now with action films, with Chris Hemsworth being, like, ripped to shreds. And, like, you know, is anybody ever going to achieve the Marvel bod? You know, it's it's like it's completely. I'm getting close, Adam. I'm getting close. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say there are two exceptions, and I am aware, you know, present company, you know, excluded. But I just think that the children and young people they're exposed to this level of perfection all the time, and you know, what must that be doing for their resilience? Because they'll just sort of think, well, what's the point? I can absolutely. Okay, I was born in the '80s, grew up in the '90s. I don't remember me and my friends and, you know, grew up in a sporting background ever having a conversation about a six pack. Yeah. It, it was never, a yet the minute I take older students in our gym at school, it's the first question I get asked. So how do I get a six pack? Mm -hmm. And we had a whole conversation in my class the other day of like having a six pack will make you miserable because the things you have to sacrifice in order to get there mm -hmm. is not worth an Instagram photo. And yeah. it was, it was, I was an old man shouting at clouds of that day because they just <laughs> could not understand. But like, but sir, when you get there, it must be amazing. And I was like, for what reason? So I absolutely, I go with what you're saying there, Adam, is, is 
they're trying to achieve a perfection that is unachievable and it is causing anxiety is causing distress. Um, And I think those lines between stress and distress are getting blurred. So students, you know, we've, we've got stress in our lives for a reason, you know, it's it's inbuilt with us. You know, we run away from saber tooth tigers when we were cavemen. That's that's stress that causes us survival. And it's teaching students when that, stress which is good we need a level of stress in our life when that crosses over to distress and i guess what what you're trying to teach is the reflection skills in order to kind of identify that moment where it's becoming too much and then presumably the skills to kind of intercept and and to either ask for help or or help yourself at that stage absolutely and it's the tools and the strategies of what you can do to help yourself and it's um it's i think I sometimes mention exercise in, in, in the reflections as well, because I just think that, I mean, I've always said this, I've always said that there is an absolutely symbiotic link between exercise and writing. And you look at um, lots of writers, uh, uh, like there's a Japanese guy called Murakami. I really love his books. And he wrote a book called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. And it's a book about how him being a runner has absolutely shaped him as being a writer. In Stephen King's book on writing, um, he talks about his running and his exercise re- uh, regime. I don't write anything unless I've done some exercise. That, that, you know, I'll go to the gym for an hour, then I'll sit down at my computer and I'll do some work, or I'll take the dog out, then I'll sit down and do some work. I think it's like it, that the links between exercise and positive mental health are absolutely huge. Um, but also that that this this entire book is 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 the backdrop to it is is based around stoicism. Now, stoicism is a word that used to be like uh, almost like a negative word where people would call you stoic and it meant that you were boring and that you were serious, etc. But the stoic philosophers, uh, Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and people like that, um, who are quoted in the Daily Reflections book, they, they are just the most inspirational people. They, I mean, for, for people that don't know, Marcus Aurelius was um, he was going to be the next Roman emperor. And it was a time when Rome was really going through this difficult transition. They, they, they were at a time of poverty, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Marcus Aurelius was the stepson of Hadrian, who built Hadrian's Wall up near where I live. And when Marcus Aurelius was told he was going to become emperor, he ripped his clothes and he wept because he didn't want to become emperor. Because becoming emperor in the ancient Rome times elevated you to the status of a god. You were dressed in purple, which only the gods could wear. And when he was told that he had no choice, he was to be emperor and that was that, he was paraded through the streets of Rome and people worshipped him as a god and threw petals at his feet. And he employed somebody to whisper in his ear, you're just a man. You are no better than anybody else here. You're just a man. And that's what stoicism is meant to be. Is It keeps you humble, but it also teaches you gratitude and it teaches you these these um mental strategies to make you strong as well and realize that that failure is fine and that you are enough and that's the that's the key message really from the book is i want students and pupils to know that they are enough that they that that they have whatever they need inside of them to achieve anything that they want to yeah absolutely i think adam that's a perfect time for us to take a small biscuit break and then when we come back um, let's have a chat about some actual things that we can do as teachers to to support our children doing that. Absolutely.
Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. So, Adam, uh, we've talked more about like the big ideas behind this book. Uh, don't worry, I text Mike almost every day saying, you are just a man. Uh, you are enough. Uh, and I, I like to think that keeps him grounded when he's doing this. Well, he's a te- he is a team leader, though. I mean, you know. Oh, he's just an exceptional human being. Um, Constantly in purple. <laughs> I knew it. knew it. <laughs> um so we were we were talking about some of these ideas in the book and i think one thing that always has stood out for me like i'm a big fan of morning routines and you note it in the book it's i cannot remember which one but it's somewhere in the book talking about morning routines and the idea of explicitly uh teaching those routines to students um and was, this one's really stood out to me because my son's just started primary school so we've started that that walk to school each day and i've started to realize that that's that's part of our routine and how can i use that to get him ready for the day and I was just thinking why from your perspective why are those morning routines so important for students before they even get to our school settings yeah I think that the first thing that a lot of students are going to do is at the minute that they open their eyes it's just like reach for the phone and immediately they're going to start having those um, negative messages portrayed to them about body issues and things like that and I think sometimes if you can encourage students and pupils to um perhaps not reach for the phone first thing and perhaps to do something else like take a walk or go and have some breakfast or have a shower or have a conversation with a family member or um, just doing something that doesn't involve that that technology. It's those sort of strategies that I suppose I'm trying to recommend. My personal morning routine is um, I, I, I'll read um, a book of uh, like a daily meditation book so, for example, the perfect one, the one that I would highly recommend to every human being on the planet. Um, this is the book that I buy for family and I buy for friends. I, I must have bought it 20, 25 times. Um, and I just, yeah, I'm like evangelical about it. It's called The Daily Stoic. And it's it's by Ryan Holiday. And it's just a book of like, it, it's a daily reading. And I have certain family members who are inclined towards negativity. And they have told me how much this book has helped them. And really that's where Daily Reflections came from because it was writing a a children's version of of the Daily Stoic. Um, Now the Daily Stoic is like, there's a reading for every day of the year. Um, And I've read it several times now, but I also read 365 Tao, another book of daily meditations. I read Marcus Aurelius's meditations. The original title for the book was Daily Meditations, but um, Bloomsbury, and I agree with them, they, they felt that it was perhaps misleading, that it, it sounded like we were wanting children to kind of sit with their legs crossed saying om, as opposed to kind of reflecting that, upon themselves. All I'm all for that, but you know, this is something different. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think Daily Reflections is more, uh, sort of, it, it describes it a little bit better, I guess. So yeah, I, I think morning routines are, are, are super important. And my morning routine is, is, is sitting and reading something, then meditating. And then uh, walking the dog and, um, you know, maybe doing some stretching and things like that before, because I want to be in the right mindset to inspire children. If I go into the classroom, it's like, do you remember that? Um, oh, there's a quote um, from all the way back in 1972 by uh, G, I forget how it's pronounced, Ginot, uh, where he says, I am the decisive element in the classroom. It's my personal approach that creates the climate. It's my daily mood that makes the weather. As a teacher, I possess a tremendous power to make a child's life miserable or joyous. I can be a tool of torture or an instrument of inspiration. I can humiliate or heal. 
In all situations, it is my response that decides whether a crisis will be escalated or de-escalated and a child humanized or dehumanized. And that was a quote from 1972 and never ever has that quote been more relevant as today. You know, our daily mood is absolutely you know, the decisive element in the classroom. And that's why I wanted the book to kind of be a guidebook for for teachers to find their own kind of like a headspace before they enter the classroom or before they work with the with the with the children. One of the other ones I wanted to talk to you about, Adam, I thought this was a really interesting idea was uh I actually have this one written down, it's idea 90, was whether something is a reaction or a feeling. Yeah. And I know I've not have this explicitly with students I've worked with but why are you reacting like this or why are you feeling like this right now and being able to differentiate between the two I've made up from a kind of an academics perspective so like you've got this question wrong like why why are you doing what you're doing right now is that a reaction to getting it wrong or are you just feeling you got something wrong so you're making the decision and I'm interested from your perspective like from a primary perspective how can we teach students like I'm a primary teacher I've just listened to this. I've gone, yeah, that's a really good idea, reactional feeling. But I'm working my class. How do I actually do that? What's the actual thing I can do with my class? I think it's it's taken a moment. It's it's you know I've, I've, a lot of this is based upon the breath, and and I think if we just take a little step back for a moment and we take a deep breath or even three deep breaths if it's needed before we respond to a situation where you're you're and then it is a response rather than a reaction. So that when some students who, you know, are exhibiting um, severe kind of uh, behavioural issues and they're really kind of like pushing your buttons, when you start reacting to that, you've absolutely, you're like, you've lost the situation. As soon as you've become emotionally um, over-angered by it, um, that's that's never going to help the situation at all. And I think what these reflections are meant to do is just to help you to pause, just to pause for a moment and reset and we all make mistakes 100% we all make mistakes and i you know i i i'm reflecting on my own teaching this afternoon and um i'm thinking about what i would have done differently with the year 4 class that i was working with today and that actually i should have kind of taken it down that route self reflection is fantastic but if we can do that in the moment then we're not letting things escalate and get out of control and if we can teach children to do that then all the better as well and another recommendation is that i would say that if you do have challenging children or, or students in your classes is to kind of like wipe the slate clean every day, use the morning routine to kind of let that go so that when you are encountering, encountering that person, it's not built upon previous encounters. You're not using that negative ne- negativity to come into that private, into that space at that moment. You've just got to kind of like think, right, this is a brand new child and let's give them a new chance. Let's give them like a fresh slate all over again. And I suppose it's a bit like, um, yeah, just kind of like pressing that reset, I, I, I suppose. The, I, if I was going to put it another way, um, you've got to like, kind of like be in the moment to inspire others um, and, and ask yourself the question, what is it like to be a pupil or a student in my classroom? What kind of a teacher do you want to be? And it, it's it's asking those questions, and sometimes they can be difficult questions. But just trying to like reset that moment with with the students. Mike, I know you work with um, some challenging students. Let's put it that way: some challenging students. And I know you in one of the settings you work have have like a reflection zone where students can take a moment out and go and reflect upon their behaviour and their actions. I'm just wondering how 
that wiping the slate clean each day. I remember being told this when I was teacher training and it's sometimes really hard to do. So I'm just wondering how you as a teacher, do you wipe the slate clean when you see these students the next day? And do you, do you have any methods for doing that? And also how do you get the students to come in with that fresh attitude each day of it's a new day, but start again. So yeah, when, when I supervise that space, I don't have any issues with the students in there because they've not done anything to me. I hope they haven't. Occasionally there's one in there who's, you know, we've had an issue in a lesson, but they've not done anything to me. So I'm not going to go in there and be like a prison warden and be like, no, you will not, but you, if they want to speak about what's going to happen, I'm going to speak to them about it. I'm going to try and help them reflect upon it. But a big thing, you know, our school's big in terms of if one student is ruining the learning for 29 other students, then that student needs to be taken out of that environment because that's what benefits the, the most amount of students. But then we have to work with that student once they have been removed. So restorative justice conversations are massive. So if a student comes out and goes into this reflection zone where they have to reflect upon the behavior, they don't just get released the next day to go back. And what's happened there is a power imbalance between them and the teacher. And it's important that they're going to be stressing about their next lesson. The teacher's going to be stressed about their next lesson, or their next encounter with that student. Actually, as a senior leader, we need to go and facilitate those conversations to restore that balance, to make sure that that relationship is wiped clean and is ready to go again. So I think the, the systems you have in place as a school have to support teachers and students in extreme circumstances. If it's a student just talking when I'm talking, of course, I'm going to keep them behind at the end, have a conversation with them and say, look, this is how you're affecting everyone else. And that's going to be very easy for me to wipe slate clean, very easy for the student. If it's something more serious, then your systems have to help your staff and help your students by facilitating that process. Yeah, I like that. That's really good. Because then um, you're not being conditioned by the past events. You're actually learning from the past events and you're learning in support of like not just the, the, the not just the students, not just the pupils, but also the staff as well. And that's so important. You know, it's um we talk about um the mental health of, of teachers and I go into staff rooms and I see like staff well-being and and things like that and I see like you know um staff shout shout outs and I see people putting like chocolate bars and people's um and people's trays and things and, and that's just it, it's brilliant it's brilliant but also I think the systems have to be in place they're all very nice and it's nice being there for your colleagues and being able to have a chat with each other um but also there needs to be um from the senior leaders systems in place to support staff and, and support pupils as well I think that's really important that's a great point I just think it's interesting as a like we started this conversation saying let's talk about how we're gonna help students reflect like mm -hmm. and what we're talking about is how can we help students and staff and us as general as people reflect and I think that's a really interesting thing that you've written about Adam is like as I said at the start like these things we can take away and we can apply them to our own days so like I was talking about morning routine you had one there the power of no which we all get told to stuff I remember getting told in my NQT year uh in the 2010s just to point out that I am slightly younger than you two uh the 2010s being told you've got to say no to stuff and we don't yeah. teach our students that so quite often if you're taking a moment to reflect at the end of your lesson at the end of your day at the end of a difficult conversation remember there's a student at the other side who's had the same difficult lesson, the same difficult conversation, a difficult day. 
So I just think sometimes the stuff we need to remember if we're preaching something like we also need to do it and we might do it slightly differently because of those age dynamics, but like there's stuff in your book that we can all take away and kind of reflect. And I've, what I really like is you're talking about how we integrate this and might you talk about this, how we integrate reflection into part of kind of the school ethos and culture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think what I wanted to be uh, an underpinning, uh, another thing to go through, it is, is all about building confidence. And um, I often talk about like the iceberg of success. You often only see this this tip of the iceberg where you see people that have achieved these incredible things, but you don't see all the failure that goes underneath it, that that's hidden, that they failed again and again and again and again before they've become sports people, before they've become um, authors, before they become actors or, or whatever these people have done. There is a huge amount of failure behind them. And I think that, that we want children to know that failure is okay. And one of the best ways that we can teach that is by sharing examples when we've failed and sharing like uh, how hard we've worked to get to where we are now you know you don't just walk into a teaching career it's 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 a real calling it's a, there's nobody nobody working in education that that hasn't absolutely been called to be in education because we all know that we could probably get a job in aldi and hour by hour we'd be on a better daily rate uh, hourly rate rather um we we all put in hours and hours and hours but because it's it's a calling it's it's this kind type of job where um you have to be committed to it and you have to understand young people and and the way that their minds work and i just respect the teachers and the support staff that I work with on a daily basis, they're amazing. This weekend, I'm traveling to London to go and speak at, the, at a conference um, to um, support staff from across the UK. And I'm just going to tell them how great they all are, because I mean it. I genuinely mean it. They are amazing people. And, and I get to work with them every day, which is fortunate. Uh, we released a pod earlier in September all about support staff, and it was a really interesting conversation about how it goes. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Teen Teaching um Thanks i think me and mike are both taking stuff away uh mike is going to work on his morning routine which i i know vaguely involves just going for a run right mike yeah that and getting a two-year-old ready for nursery which is yeah <laughs> chaos nowhere near as organized as it should be <laughs> but, well, but you're working been... mike and by the time she's 18 like <laughs> it would be better yeah i don't know i've got 18 year olds it's not better oh Sorry, yeah, Mike. Sorry, oh, sorry. sorry. I'm, to look forward I, to. I, I've just undone everything that we've just been talking about. No, I don't mean that. It's the, it's the best. It gets better every year. <laughs> Adam, people are listening to this. They want to find out more about you. They want to buy this book. They want to buy your other books. What do they do? Where do they go? Um, cheapest place is Amazon, um, but you don't pay full price there. So if you want to come to my website, I can sell you uh, signed copies, etc. But yeah, my website's just adambushnell.co.uk and... Um, yeah, check out the fiction, check out the academic books, but also have a look on Twitter. It's or, um, or X. It's um, at Author Adam. I'm also on Instagram um, at Author Adam. And uh, yeah, people give me a nudge, give me a little shout, give me a wave. If I can help anybody in any way, I absolutely will. If I can recommend text, if I can give them tips for writing, tips for, you know, um, daily reflection in the classroom, then I'm more than happy to do so. That's what it's all about. And there's the shout out to our 8 billion potential <laughs> listeners uh, to go and message Adam and he'll give him some information. Adam, thank you so much for coming to you and teaching. Listeners, we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Tea and Teaching, the educational podcast you can listen to with a cup of tea. Alpha, Adam, 
reflections talk to me just talking in single words there mike um no really enjoyed that um oh yeah it was how clearly is that we need to explicitly teach these skills that's something i've really taken away from today's pod we quite often mention these things but we as teachers and as educators we need to be clear that we are going to teach this skill this is how we're going to do it and we're going to try and do it at this point in the day uh what about you what was your main takeaway mike yeah i love when adam talked about the the iceberg of failure or iceberg of success and talk about all the failures uh that it takes to get to success and actually we need to kind of share those experiences with students and that understanding that failure is okay and just normalizing failure with them. Um, I think that's a, a really good starting point for me as a teacher. And I would, I think it's a really good thing to challenge yourself this week after listening to this pod of how can I just do a little tiny bit of building reflections into my routines at school? And then we can all build on that. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the pod, Adam. Listeners, if you've got any great reflections, of how to work it with your students let us know at tea and teaching uh and we'll speak to you next time mike goodbye goodbye arthur thank you for listening to this episode of tea and teaching if you've enjoyed the content of this episode please feel free to share it with other educators and if you're able to please leave a review on the platform And as always, thank you for listening to Tea and Teaching.